the Lollard movement really went in two directions, not just east, but also north. It went north as far as it could go into Scotland and into the communities of the far north, into places like Ayr in Scotland on the west coast. And then in the 1520s, okay, so 200 years have passed, and uh, in the 1520s, we're going to see a, a young man named George Wishart. George Wishart, a man of prayer who fasts, and he's going to take the Tyndale Bible, a new translation of the Bible by William Tyndale, and Tyndale, by the way, died for the privilege of translating the Bible into English. And uh, he's going to take that version of the Bible into the highways and byways around air. And this is a um, description of what happened in fifteen in the 1520s, 1526. He came to a dike in a moor edge upon the southwest side of Mochlin, upon the which he ascended. The whole multitude stood and sat about him. God gave the day pleasing and hot. He continued in preaching more than three hours. In that sermon God wrought so wonderfully with him that one of the most wicked men that was in that country named Lawrence Rankin, Laird of Sheol, was converted. The tears ran from his eyes in such abundance that all men wondered. His conversion was without hypocrisy, for his life and conversation witnessed it in all times to come. What's happening here? God is writing his laws on the hearts of one and five and a hundred and a thousand. In other words, the power of God has suddenly manifested itself in the nation of Scotland. Well, uh, there were those Catholics who really didn't appreciate what was happening. One of them was Cardinal Beaton. Cardinal Beaton, after 20 years of seeing this happen in his area, decided uh, enough was enough. He had George Wishart arrested. A real quick trial. And then uh, George Wishart was burned at the stake and hanged at the same time. I don't know how you do that, but that's what happened to George Wishart. And so, uh, just like John Huss, the, the power and might church is getting angry. And uh, as a result of this uh, murder, uh, many of the lairds of Scotland who had begun to hear George Wishart's preaching and receive it, and whose lives were beginning to be changed, um, although it probably they weren't very mature in Christ, but they decided they were going to react to the death of their leader, and they stormed the palace of Car Cardinal Beaton. They found him in bed with his mistress. Um, he told them that they couldn't do anything to him because he was the cardinal of the church. Um, he badly miscalculated in saying that because they went ahead and did what they came to do, which was to kill him in return for him killing George Wishart. And so that was the end of Cardinal Beaton, but that was not the end of the problem. 
because the Catholic authorities came and arrested all those ringleaders and a lot of other people as well. Um, didn't really matter that much uh, whether they were able to prove anybody in particular was involved in it. Um, so one of the people they arrested was a guy named John Knox. John Knox was a, a kind of like a personal guard of George Wishart. He had not been involved in this issue with Cardinal Beaton, but they arrested him anyway, and they assigned him to 18 months as a galley slave. Well, that was considered as a rule to be a death sentence because you are assigned um, to a ship and all you do morning, noon, and night is row. And um, very few people had a constitution that would allow for that kind of punishment and you were fed gruel. And uh, generally what happened to you, you is you died and they, th they threw your body overboard and that was the end of you. But that didn't quite happen with John Knox. Um, he remained alive, and after the 18 months, he, uh, his, his, his boat came in the Firth of Forth, and God spoke to him at that point. And he said, off to the left, there was uh, the Cathedral of St. Giles and the community of Edinburgh, and God said, you will be preaching from that uh, cathedral. And so... That's what happened, and John Knox became the new leader of this Scottish Reformation, as it would be called. So here we have John Knox, and he's, he is, um, uh, no longer has the full use of his arms. So uh, he had been kind of a swordsman for uh, George Wishart, but now he's no good with the sword, but God is giving him other weapons, the word of God and prayer. And, uh, and so those are more powerful. In fact, uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, who was the Catholic queen at the time, uh, was known to have said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of Scotland. People who are trusting power and might, worldly power and might, know that there's something else. They don't understand it. They fear it because they know there's something to it and they don't know what to do about it. And the, the prayers of John Knox proved to be very, very powerful, but not in a way that came directly against the queen, but rather in a way that was winning the hearts of so many people. So what we have here is the first great awakening in the world, in modern history. We have so many people that by the time, uh, uh, like John Knox was uh, er, still early in his ministry, and he writes and he says, it is as though men had rained from the clouds. There are so many people coming to Christ, obviously, the presence of God. It's a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. You see, something new is happening here that hasn't happened for 700 years. This is like a, this is like Iona. This is like what's, what happened in Scotland at the beginning. Suddenly, a wellspring has come unclogged and all of that is welling up again and thousands upon thousands of Scottish people 
are coming to Christ in a by my spirit movement that is capturing their hearts and their the same thing is happening to them that happened with uh, Lawrence Rankin Laird of Shield. They're, they're, God is writing his laws on their hearts and they're repenting of sin and they're coming into a genuine relationship with everyone having a, their own personal connection with God. And uh, John Knox is going to start um, a, a whole school system this is the birthing of public schools as we know them today, so that the ignorant Scottish, the ordinary Scottish sheep herder can learn how to read, gain an education so they can read their Bible and know what it says for themselves. Wow. And so this is a transformational movement that's happening. It's, it's not really happening throughout all of Scotland, but through the lowlands, through the southern half, shall we say. And uh, it's, it's so new and so different that this is what one historian named Kirkton uh, wrote about it. The Church of Scotland hath been singular among the churches. In other nations, the Lord thought it enough to convict a few in a city, village, or family to himself, leaving the greater part in darkness. In Scotland, the whole nation was converted by lump. And as I say, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. And yet he's trying to say something new is happening in Scotland that's never happened before. And God is now dealing with Scotland in a whole new way. And we're calling that way a great awakening. So the spirit of God coming in answer to powerful prayer, kingdom prayer. And then God is, is requiring his church to take in a harvest. Well, how does this kind of thing happen? You know, that's the question. How does it happen? And the answer is by prayer. Okay, it's by prayer. It's the authority that God has given his people to be the royal priesthood and to wield this authority that is higher than the authority of the worldly church, the power and might church. And so now here we're having a conflict between two different models of ministry, okay? And maybe the best example I could give you is that of John Welch, who's going to be the next generation. Okay, we got uh, George Wishart, then we've got John Knox, and now we've got the son-in-law of John Knox, married John's uh, John Knox's daughter, Elizabeth, and so he, in the early years of his life, had been a highway robber in the in the uh, border country you know, towards uh, towards England in the south of Scotland. Then he was converted by this power of God and and he becomes a, a, a pastor of a church and um, uh, he ends up at Ayr in the west of Scotland on the on the coast. And uh, he, he is known as one of the greatest prayer warriors in the history of Scotland. It's, it says that it, he considered a day ill-spent if he had not given eight hours of it to prayer. And uh, everybody knew this about him because he lived in a church manse, a parsonage, where there was a garden, a walled garden out front of the manse, and he would spend the hours day and night um, in prayer uh, and people could walk by and hear him praying. And so uh, this part of his life was not hidden. 
hidden. It was well known. And uh, I'm not suggesting that eight hours of prayer a day is normal, but I'm, I'm just giving this as an example of how the Scottish reformers now believed in prayer in a way that hadn't really been practiced for a long, long time. They're realizing that prayer is the way that you draw down the presence of God. And uh, uh, John Welch, um, this is John Welch, by the way. John Welch um, would hear God and he would, he would receive words from God. So he, he, he had kind of a prophetic ministry. Uh, for example, one uh, day um, he, he heard God say that there was a man coming to the town of Ayr who was carrying the black plague in his uh, packs, and, and he should not be allowed to come into the town of Ayr. So John Welsh hurried to the, the, the uh, fathers of the city, told them about this. They rushed out to the gate. There was the man trying to get in. They didn't let this man in. He went to the next town up the road, and Black Plague did break out there. And so you can see with this kind of track record, that John Welsh was must, much trusted and much loved, and his church was well attended uh, because they realized he knew God in a way that very few did. <laughs> and one day, John Welsh was uh, praying all night long, and his wife Elizabeth was concerned that he might catch cold, so she was carrying a blanket, a scotch plaid, uh, to put around his shoulders, and as she entered in the, into the door of the main uh, sitting room of their house, um, she heard him pray, O oh God, wilt thou not give me Scotland? So that was a prayer very similar to the prayers of his father-in-law, John Knox. And both of these men understood the authority of prayer over nations. Do you get this? This is the the sixth of our seven um, basic ingredients of By My Spirit Christianity. They're, they're picking this up, and, and they're, they're living by it, okay? So he's praying this prayer, and then suddenly he falls silent, and he says, it is enough, Lord, it is enough. So the next day, Elizabeth inquires as to what God has spoken to him, and John Welsh says... Uh, God has told me that there is a sad time coming for Scotland, but during the sad time, uh, a remnant will be saved. And I said, it is enough, it is enough. Well, that sad time was soon upon them because the king of Scotland, James VI of Scotland, this man, turned out not to be a friend of Great Awakenings, not to be a friend of the Reformed Church as it was developing. And so he uh, made a decree to cancel the Church of Scotland's next General Assembly. And uh, anybody who showed up there would be arrested. And so... Um, 
John Welch, with a number of other leaders of the Scottish Church, uh, decided that the king had no authority to do something like that. They showed up at the General Assembly uh, despite this decree of the king, and the king had them all arrested and thrown into uh, Black Ness Castle, which is just north of Edinburgh. And, uh, and there John Welsh was put and um, allowed to stay for a year. And then he was banished to France for the rest of his life, he and his wife Elizabeth. So this begins a season which um, God had warned John Welsh about. This is going to be a sad time, and a sad time is going to last 100 years. And uh, James the First, James the Sixth of Scotland, is going to become James the First of England. He's going to be the first king that occupies both thrones and unites them together. And he's going to be the beginning, one of three of a dynasty called the Stuart Kings of England. And they uh, are going to establish a pattern of persecution. They are going to persecute more Christians than any kings in the history of England. All Christians who are going to be a product of spiritual awakening, and there's going to be waves of spiritual awakening from now on, and they are going to raise up Christians who are, who are learning from God. The Holy Spirit is coming back and is, is establishing by my spirit Christianity. And these kings just don't get it. And so they're going to put these new Christians in prison. They're going to banish them. They're going to defrock them, take them away from their pulpits and their ministries, uh, torture them, torment them, uh, Scotland is going to make uh, covenants against these kings. Uh, the Christians are going to be known as covenanters. It's a, it's a sad time for Scotland and for much of England. John Welsh is going to be banished to France, and there he is going to decide that maybe it would be a good idea to go to America, to cross the ocean. He isn't going to quite make it, but the vision is going to be to, to, to begin to stir the hearts of all these awakened Christians. It's going to be the vision of Brendan. Do you see this? It's like uh, the by my spirit vision is, has died. It's been gone underground for, for 700 years, and now the whole thing is coming back including the vision to take the gospel across the ocean. So now we're going to see where that leads.